Our church has been going through Luke, sermon series in, in the gospel according to Luke. And so we've reached the, uh, the end of the 18th chapter. Our, our sermon text for this morning is um, Luke 18, 31 through 43. 18 through 43. This is the word of the Lord to you, his people. Pay attention to it. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. This saying, but they they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As Jesus drew new to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Give us sight to see what is in your word, and not just to to understand it, but to really believe it with our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's one thing that is abundantly clear in the Gospel of Luke. As you're making your way through the Gospel of Luke, there's something that pops up again and again and again, and you've heard me say it, and we've heard Jesus say it. It's that he's going to die, he's going to be buried, and he's going to rise again. We say that that is the main thing about the Christian faith. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, you know, this past Friday, when, I think it was last Friday, maybe it was the Friday before, when we, um, we met to talk to our Muslim friends in Dayton about why Christians uh, make such a big deal about uh, you know, Good Friday and Easter, we really said, what, what is that all about? It's about what we think is the center of gravity in the Bible. These things that Jesus has done in history to save us from our sins. And so if there were you know, a center of gravity to your Bible, you know, uh, somewhere where your Bible would flip, you know, if, uh, the, uh, the, the center of gravity to it, where everything in the, in the entire Bible hinges upon, it would be a page where you have 
Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Of course, here's the crazy thing. Jesus has told his disciples time and time and time again that this is exactly what's going to happen. You think they'd get it by now. But no. Do you notice that? In, in our text, Jesus is 18 miles away from Jerusalem. That's like the distance from here to, to, uh, to Xenia, Ohio, uh, going 35 eastbound. And, and so here, here Jesus is, 18 miles from Jerusalem, and all his disciples are with him. And he says one more time, third time, third and final time, you need to understand what we're doing. And 18 miles up the road, I'm going to meet the whole purpose of what I came for. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again. And the disciples, you think they'd understand. But there's something blocking them. There's some sort of spiritual blindness that keeps them from seeing that this is really what Jesus is doing. And so who knows what it is? Maybe it's their false expectations that they're going to go you know, triumphant into Jerusalem and, and take, uh, Jesus takes his rightful place as the king and, and the Romans are overthrown. Maybe they've spent so much time with Jesus, they just can't imagine this, this rabbi dying and then fleeing. But sure enough, here they are. The scripture says they did not understand what Jesus was talking about. There's a blindness that settles over them. And here's the thing. They won't believe. They won't get it. They won't see until Jesus is raised. And it all comes together. That all the scriptures find their center of gravity in the work that Jesus is about to do. So how interesting is it that the very next person we meet in our text, right after we've heard about these spiritually blind disciples, is a blind man who actually sees things very well. A blind man who has sight like no one else we've seen in the Bible. Isn't that ironic? The, the disciples with their wonderful vision who can see Jesus right in front of them, they miss it. But this blind man, he sees. And I want us to ask the question, what is it that he sees? Kids, what is it that Jesus sees, what the blind man in this text sees so well with his heart, even while his eyes can't see? Well, let's look at that right now. Let's meet this blind man. His name is uh, Bartimaeus. We know that because uh, Matthew and Luke tell us about Bartimaeus, or Matthew and Mark tell us about Bartimaeus. And um, he's, he is a blind man who has spent his entire life, or probably as long as he can remember, uh, with his world wrapped in deep darkness. Imagine that. Kids, have you ever gone down into the Ohio, Ohio caverns, or maybe a cave, and, and, you know, someone shuts off the flashlight and all you see is complete blackness. It's called natural darkness. That's what it must have been like for poor Bartimaeus. And so day after day, he walks around in that cavern-like darkness. Day after day, his friends and families have to drag him out onto the side of the road so that he can make a pitch to the travelers who are going to and from Jerusalem and passing through Jericho. He's got the pitch down, Pat, but, but, but imagine that life. There he sits, 
crowd passing by. Darkness. And if you know someone who's, who's um, you know, partially or fully blind, you know that, that the physically blind people have a way of compensating for this because when, when the eyes give out, other senses are heightened. You know, the hearing starts to pick up. And so Bartimaeus, as he sits there, starts to hear word of Jesus, of Nazareth, spreading as travelers are coming to and from Jericho. And so he, he knows something. We know in this text about Jesus. He knows something. He's heard. There's a man who's healing people across the countryside. There's a man who's come and he says that he's the fulfillment of that great, um, that great one who comes from Isaiah. The one we heard about in our passage this morning, bringing healing. He says he can heal the blind even. No prophet in the Old Testament could ever heal the blind. That was the one thing that we, we never see in the Old Testament is the healing of a blind man. He says, could, could this man do what none other have done? Could he meet me on the side of the road in Jericho? Could he give me sight? But there he sits. Until one day he hears a commotion while he's about his normal routine. And his heightened sense of hearing starts to pick up. Something big is happening. People are rushing about him. A crowd is surging around him. And he starts hearing, Jesus is here. Jesus of Nazareth. He's going up to Jerusalem. So what does this blind man do? He starts yelling. He starts screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Can you picture the scene? This blind man pulling himself up, uh, tugging his way blindly through the crowd and people you know, who are in front of him, who have, who have made a wall while Jesus passes by. They, they kind of just push him down and say, quiet, man, what are you doing? Shut your mouth. We're, we're trying to hear Jesus. We're trying to get to him too. People start to get very annoyed, but Bartimaeus gets louder and louder. Can you see the desperation in his voice? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, here is the one man, the one thing that this blind man sees. He, he sees this with the eyes of his heart. He sees that he has a desperate, desperate need. Clear as day. He sees that his need is desperate and, and, and urgent. He needs his blindness to be healed. Contrast this with the guy that we met last week, two weeks ago, sorry, Brad preached last week. Two weeks ago, contrast this with the rich young ruler who came before him in this passage, who comes to Jesus with this cool and casual question. What do I lack? What do I need to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? He comes with that kind of philosophical question. Hey, Jesus, I I feel like you might have something to give me. I don't know what it is, but you have something to offer me? And then picture this blind man. Don't pass by, Savior. I need you. It's now or never. Come to me. Heal me. Desperation. See, this man sees his need. He sees his need not only for healing, but for mercy. He calls out, have mercy on me. He sees better than the rich young man. He sees better than the disciples. Do you? Do you see 
your desperate need. Because there's a deeper need than, um, for healing than, than for physical blindness. There's a deeper blindness than not being able to see with your eyes. And that is, we've already talked about it a bit, spiritual blindness. Blindness that comes from the deception and the confusion of sin. Isn't it interesting that all of Jesus' healings up to this point point to something that is deeper than the skin, deeper than something physical? Think of leprosy, right? We talked about that crazy disease, leprosy, where it spread across the skin, stained the skin. What do we, what do we say about that? That leprosy is pointing, in Jesus' day, it was pointing to something deeper than sin, a disease that all of us share. The disease of sin and rebellion against God that has infected us and our whole community. And so when, when Jesus comes and he heals a man with leprosy, he's saying, I have the cure to uh, the disease of sin. When he comes to a deformed person that is twisted over backwards, you know, what are they a picture of? Someone, they're, they're a picture of what sin and suffering does to God's good creation, deforms it, twists it. Well, what happens when Jesus comes to a blind person? pointing to something deeper than blindness. It is a blindness that we all have by nature, that we all bring into the world. It is the blindness that comes from the confusion and deception of, of trying to live apart from God. We're totally unable to see how very broken we are. Think of John 1, where, where, where it says, the people are walking in this darkness, but God has sent his son to bring light into the dark world. Think about how Throughout scripture, we see this picture. What is the world like? It is like a world wrapped in, in a cavern-like darkness. And then Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You're blind. You'll miss it every time. And then listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says this, the God of this world, that's, that's Satan. The God of this world named Satan, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. See, when you're physically blind, you can, you can overcompensate. You can, you can strengthen your ears, strengthen your, your sense of, 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 um, of touch. But when you are spiritually blind, there's no compensating for that. Spiritually blind people are blind to their own blindness. In our spiritual darkness, as we go about, all of us are born and walk in this. That's what the, that's what the Bible says. It's like we're, we're, we're walking around and we can't see anything, but we don't know that. We can't see the light of God's presence in his glory. We can't see that we're in desperate need. We walk around and we don't get it. You know, I was talking with someone this morning about, um, about glasses, about contacts, um, you ever seen someone who really needs glasses but won't admit it? You ever have anyone like that in your family? Um, I think all of us probably have at least one, you know, where they're, they're looking at their phone and they're like this, like right, like their eyes are right up against it. And you're like, I think you need to go see an eye doctor. Like, no, 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 I'm fine. Or, you know, someone who, um, you know, who's, who's stumbling around, they're bumping into things and trying to, trying to get out to their car. You say, I think you need glasses. Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Really, really. You, you, you want to get in the car with me and we'll just try? No, no, thank you. Um, well, look, that is what 
we are like apart from God's light that he shines into our lives. We say things like this, you know, to, we tell ourselves, I'm not so bad. There are people that are much, much, much worse than me. I've kept, I've kept the Ten Commandments pretty well. I haven't murdered. I haven't stolen. I, um, I haven't done any of the big things to break God's law. But what do we see last, last week? Last time we were in the Gospel of Luke, we saw that the rich young ruler who thought he said, I've kept the law all of my life. Jesus says, no, you haven't. Because if, if you break even one point of the law, because God is so good and so holy, you've fallen short of all of it. And so we, tell our, we go around deceiving ourselves, telling ourselves, you know, I, I've done a pretty good job. When I get to heaven, I think, I think I'll have a good case for myself. We deceive ourselves. We tell ourselves we think we figured it all out. But the world around us is desperately blind, and we, apart from God's light, are blind too. If you don't believe me, then again, look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Look at John 3 and Nicodemus. What would happen if we did see the light of, of God's truth as it's sh- shown into our lives? What would happen? We'd start crying out to this Savior like this blind man does. Have mercy on me, Jesus. I need you. Have mercy on me. I can't see the way to the kingdom without you. I need the light of your word. I need your light showing how how I can really be saved. And that's exactly what this man sees. He sees, this is the second thing he sees in our passage, a marvelous Savior. He can't see the Savior with his eyes. In fact, some, that's kind of where we're at right now, right? Looking forward to the day where we see Jesus with our eyes. He doesn't see Jesus with his eyes, but he sees Jesus with his heart. And he beholds that he is the son of David. Did you notice that's the title he uses? Verse 38, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is important because this guy gets who Jesus really is. He gets it, in fact, better than anyone else in the Gospel of Luke up to this point. It, it hasn't been since chapter 1 since someone has confessed this truth, that he is the son of David. If you look at chapter 1, verse 69, you'll see that when Jesus is born, one of the first things that's said about him is he is descended from David and he is the rightful heir to the throne of David. Now, that's really important. Because that is a major theme that weaves like a thread throughout the Bible. That David was this kingly figure in the Old Testament that was this picture of bringing perfect peace and restoration to God's people. But he didn't do it perfectly. He failed, ultimately. And David was looking forward to another David, one physically descended from him, who would come and would restore all things and would bring peace and would bring that lasting era of grace and mercy from God. Jesus is that son of David. He's the Messiah. He's the one who would restore the kingdom of God. And this guy gets it. This man beholds that Jesus is not just some mighty ruler who's going to overthrow the Romans. He's the one who brings perfect peace. And he starts by being a healer, by healing the blind. 
We know he's right on because as soon as he calls out, have mercy on me, son of David, Jesus stops. He stops. With all that crowd surging around, blocking this man, he says, bring that man to me. Bring that man to me. And what does he say? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Isn't that a dignifying question to a man who has just been shoved around and pushed around by the crowd? Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? As this man lays a hold of Jesus with the eyes of faith, he says, restore my sight. Let me see again, Lord. Jesus sees that this man has laid laid his eyes on him. Not, Not the physical eyes, but the eyes of faith. And Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Boom. Light out of the darkness. The cavern shines with light. And who's the first face that he beholds? Jesus. He sees Jesus. Do you see this Savior? This blind man saw. Do you? You need to hear this this morning, that you and I are the blind man sitting alongside the Jericho road. We are the blind man desperately needing God's sight. We need that before we even come to believe in Jesus. We know that, but we need it every day of our lives where our sin and our deception, where we're tempted to say, I've got this, God, I don't need you anymore. God says, you need light, the light of my word. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, would this Savior really stop for me? Would he really, would he really stop alongside the Jericho Road? Doesn't he have more important things to do? Doesn't he have other people to heal? And the answer is, this Savior would stop for you. He does stop for you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still hears our cries. He still stops He still saves. That's who Jesus is. He's the son of David still. He can heal your spiritual blindness. He can heal your physical suffering too. He promises to do that on the final day, the day that we're waiting. Here's the important question that you need to ask yourself this morning. What is your answer to this savior when he stops for you? What's your answer to this savior when he makes his way through the crowd and approaches you and says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you, sinner? What do you, what do you say to the savior? What are you saying right now in your heart? Do you, do you say, you know, Jesus, I really appreciate the offer. This is touching, really. But, but I, I think I've got it. Or Jesus, I, I think you can help me out a bit, but, but I, you know, maybe you can improve my sight, but I'm doing pretty well. Or do you say, Jesus, Give me sight. Be thou my vision. Pierce this darkness, Lord. Flood my world with the light of your word. Every step I need to depend upon your word, your direction. Otherwise, it's the blind leading the blind. You see, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can flood your world with light and the light of his word. And here's why. Because he is the only one, the one who went past Jericho to Jerusalem. And on, uh, in Jerusalem, what did he do? Well, he just told us at the beginning of this passage. He took upon himself the world's blindness. 
in Jerusalem, we'll see in Luke chapter 22, 64, he was handed over to, to, to men. This innocent Jesus was handed over to bloodthirsty men. And when one of the first things they did, they put a blindfold over his eyes. Luke twenty two sixty four. They struck him over and over again. Jesus took upon our blindness and he went to the cross and, and taking upon himself the very darkness and weighty deception of the world, he bore our sins. He took them. He took the punishment our sins deserve. Why did he do that? So that rising from the dead, he now puts our sins in the grave and gives us, gives us the hope of newness of life. If you would come and believe in the Savior, if you would cry out to him for mercy, he could give you the sight of new resurrection life. The, the same sight that came as, as the empty tomb rolled away and flooded that tomb with light. That can be your sight. Sight to see our true purpose. Sight to see God's will in his word. Sight to see our sin. Sight to see a world in need of Jesus. Ephesians 1.18 says this, that Jesus has, has had the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That's the hope of the Christian life. Helen Keller was one at, once asked, isn't it awful to be blind? Isn't it tragic to be blind? She said this, better to be blind and to see with your heart than to have two good eyes and to see nothing. You know, one day Jesus will take every, every ounce of blindness and reverse it. But right now, he's beginning with our hearts, our, our spiritual hearts, and, he, and he's, he's giving us the vision that only he can give us. You see, the final thing in this passage is this man having the eyes of his heart open he sees his purpose in life. That's what God does. He floods our world with the light of his word so that we can do what this man does at the end of this passage. Follow him, praise him, see our greater purpose in life to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Do you see? Do you see? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Do what only you can do. Help the blind to see. Make the blind to see. Show us our blindness. Flood our world with light and lead us to Christ, to his cross, to his resurrection, and to a life of praise that flows from that. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.